Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our program here on Sabbath morning from Lion of Lamb Ministries. We're going to do a teaching of the book of Ezekiel. I've entitled our program, The Visions of Ezekiel, and it's going to be interesting for me to go through the book of Ezekiel with you. I have done teachings on Isaiah and Jeremiah and many of the other prophets and many other books of the Bible, and I've been in and out of the book of Ezekiel. You have to go through in and out of it for various end-time topics, but I've never comprehensively sat down and just taught the book of Ezekiel for what it is. And so this program is to essentially do that. But I have a confession to make. This book is loaded with all kinds of things that have to do with the last generation. So even though I'm going to try to review the book with you and cover what it is doing and saying, I'm going to focus on the things that I think we should take application to from this book. And let me just give you a very quick review to break the book down into, say, four parts so you understand what we're going to do. There are 48 chapters in this book. It's a big book. He's a major prophet. The first 24 chapters are going to be dealing with the prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem that was as a result of the Babylonians coming and taking the house of Judah captive to Babylon. The next section, the chapters 25 through 32, are going to be talking about God's judgments upon surrounding nations. And he's talking about how he's going to use the Babylonians to judge them too. And then in chapter 33, there is what we call the last call of repentance to Israel. That's where it starts to apply to us, because part of that call to repentance is for the last generation. And then in chapter 34 through the end of the book, 48, it's all future things. And in fact, in this generation, we've already seen some of these prophecies take shape. Let me mention this one in particular. Most end-time students and teachers, they view when the modern nation of Israel came into existence in 1948-1949, that that was really the start of what we refer to as end-time prophecies. All the end-time prophecies had a prerequisite that the nation of Israel had to exist. Now, for many thousands of years, during the whole what we call the church age, Israel didn't exist as a nation. So all these prophecies about what was supposed to be happening at the end, let me tell you what church theology did with it. They said, well, it's all allegorical, and the good stuff has to do with the church, the bad stuff has to do with the Jews. And they had a very simple interpretational model. That all changed when the modern nation of Israel came into existence in 1948. All of a sudden, these prophecies have a literal, not allegorical, they have a literal implication. And it's Ezekiel's famous vision of the dry bones. And when they came to be a nation, that's when all of that began to take shape. And from that point on, we have these other prophecies about the end times. Now, as we go through this study, and in this particular program, I want to give you an introduction to the book and tell you about Ezekiel, the prophet, and who he was and how he operated. But I can tell you that in this study, as we get into it deeper and deeper and so forth, I'm going to spend a lot more time on those portions of Ezekiel that I think have to do with us and what is happening in our generation. So I'm just telling you up front, this is going to be my approach to the book. All right, with that said, let's talk about who was Ezekiel and how is it that he got called to be 
a prophet by God. Ezekiel was a Levite priest, and when the Babylonians first came to Jerusalem and laid siege to Jerusalem and captured the first captives, there was a young man who was a Levite priest. He was 25 years old. He was still five years away from becoming a full priest in the temple. And lo and behold, here came the Babylonians, and he's one of the first captives taken out of Jerusalem back to Babylon. And then for the next five years, he was a prisoner in Babylon, one of the captives. And this book begins when he turns 30 years old. And it was the year he should have been a priest operating in the temple. And as a result of that, that's the oomph, if you will, behind Ezekiel coming forth with his visions from it. And the book begins with Ezekiel receiving a vision from God. He's there by the banks of the river Kebar, which was really an irrigation canal for the city of Babylon. Have you ever heard of the hanging gardens of Babylon? Babylon was a very, very lush ancient city. It was a very rich city, and uh, they were very powerful and capable, and they had really done some beautiful amenities. They had built canals, and they had hanging baskets of vegetation and so forth. And if you've ever seen any of the archaeological stuff, the ancient city, they had a mural, a beautiful mural of colored stones and so forth, the entrance to the gate, and it was a beautiful place. And he was taken there, and so he's on the banks of this river when he gets his verse vision. You probably have heard this before. This is called the vision of the four living creatures, the vision of the wheels, the whirling wheels. And what he basically saw was he saw the bottom of of the holy chariot or the Merkabah, the chariot of God that he rides on, that his throne on. This is the mobile part of his throne. There are three prophets who have had similar visions to this, and I, I need to mention these. Ezekiel saw the throne of God from the underside, where the cherubim are at. And what he saw the four living creatures was the wheels of the chariot of God. And he saw God above those wheels. Isaiah is the one who saw the throne of God from kind of the top down. He saw the seraphim, the six-winged angels that were sitting over the top of the throne that always are crying out, holy, holy to the Lord. And seraphim have six wings, cherubim have four wings. And then John, the writer of the book of Revelation, he saw the throne of God straight on. And where he saw the altar, he saw the 24 elders, he saw the throne seat from that. If you take those three descriptions that we get from these three prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and John, you get this kind of a three-perspective picture of the throne of God. And these whirling wheels that he's going to see is because the throne of God, when he's not in the temple in Jerusalem, setting in over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, then he's on this mobile thing called the Merkava. Interestingly enough, the Israeli army, the IDF, their main battle tank is called a Merkava, the fiery chariot. And that's what all the visions have. This is a very fiery chariot that the Lord. If you remember Elijah, you know, when the Lord came down and picked him up, he was in his Merkava. He was in the fiery chariot when he picked up Elijah from it. So Ezekiel is being given this vision having to do with it. Now, let me, before I go any further, let me tell you something else about this book that's kind of fascinating. The rabbis of Judaism don't teach this book. They consider this book to be very serious 
literature to the extent that it is not to be taught to younger believers. They believe that you have to be very mature in the faith to begin to deal with this. And here's the reason why. Ezekiel's going to give us a whole set of visions full of tremendous symbols. Ezekiel also, in the course of him carrying out his ministry, is going to do a lot of symbolic acts. His way of being sent by the Lord to dispatch to go to the children of Israel when they were in Babylon and prophesied to them was to almost do kind of street theater with them. There's going to be a time when he has to call his hair off. There's going to be a time when he has to make this special bread. And he has to bake this bread over dung. And he has to lay on his one side for a whole bunch of days and on another side for 40 days. And it's about the judgments on the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he's going to be doing all these different antics to get their attention for it. And at the same time, he's going to pronounce the ultimate judgment on Jerusalem. When you go through and read, say, the first 10 chapters of Ezekiel, and I've done this, it is hard to read these 10 chapters. And the reason is you begin to understand how angry the Lord is with Israel. And when God tells you how angry he is with Israel, I mean, it burdens my soul. Who can stand when Almighty God is just giving you an incredible tongue lashing? Obviously, it's not a happy message. I'll tell you what it's like, and we've seen scenes of this before. Let's say a fellow has been brought to trial, and he's been convicted. He's been found guilty, all right? And the judge is getting ready to pronounce sentence on him. There comes this moment in the trial where the guy's standing there guilty, and before the judge pronounced sentence, the judge then explains why he's going to punish him. And he will go through the rationale of the evidence that came forward and tell this defendant, quite honestly, just how despicable he is. And he has to sit there and listen to that judge describe to him about how his life is wasted, it's worthless, it's worse than dirt, and that he's a despicable person. And the judge then goes and says, I wish I could give you more punishment, but by law, I'm limited as to what I can put on you. That is not a happy moment in a person's life. And the average person cannot bear up to hear that kind of critique. First 10 chapters of Ezekiel, that's God giving Israel a tongue lashing. And I will tell you, when you read through it, I don't know about you, but when I read through the thing, I have great difficulty because it just melts my soul. Because I also know we're not just talking about ancient Israel. We're talking about God's people all over the world. We're talking about us. We are guilty of the same things that our ancestors did. We've committed abominations. We've followed after idols. We have done despicable things. Even with the knowledge that we know about the Messiah and we've repented and, and so forth, the fact of the matter is our spiritual resume before God is that we deserve incredible punishments. The only reason we're not getting it is pure testimony of the work of the Messiah and the mercy of God. And so Ezekiel was commissioned while the siege was still going on in Jerusalem and while the house of Judah had been taken captive. He's been commissioned to go to the children of Israel, the house of Judah there, and explain to them, this is who you people are. You have learned nothing from me. You deserve nothing from me. 
In fact, all you've rated from me is my contempt for you. We want God to be loving. We want God to say nice things to us. We want him to be forgiving and merciful. And and we don't like a complete resume review of all of our sins. It reminds me a little bit of one time I saw a very powerful preacher. And he was giving your basic salvation message. And if you've been a Baptist before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, a Sunday sermon. But he did something rather unusual. And boy, did this get my attention. And that's what this is about. He stopped and he says, okay, guys, I want to ask you a personal question. It's very personal for you. I want you in your mind's eye, I want you to think of a sin that you know you have committed, that you have no doubt in your mind that it was a sin. And even to this moment, you know that was a sin. And he said, I'm going to give you a moment. I want everybody to think personally of that. So he gives them a short pause. And I remember listening to him and I going, okay, I'll, let me think about that. And he said, has everybody thought of at least one sin that they have? And everybody kind of nodded in the audience. And he said, okay, good. He said, I'm going to call on one of you here in just a moment. I want you to stand up and I want you to tell the audience what that was. And then he began to move and looking at the audience. You cannot believe the number of heads that bowed and he, they would not make eye contact. And he finally stopped and he said, why aren't you looking at me? And one guy actually yelled out. He said, I don't want you to call on me. And he said, nobody wants to be called on, do they? Nobody wants to stand up and admit the sin they've done, even amongst the people that love you, even amongst your brethren, where we all have the redemption of God. Even in that audience, you don't want that revealed because if you had to stand up and confess to that openly in front of us, you'd probably die. The shame, the guilt probably would end your physical life. And he's correct about that. One of the things he was illustrating, and I agree with him on this, that's what the Messiah felt on the cross when our sins were put on him. The scripture says it turned his heart to wax. His heart contracted so hard it locked up and he died. He physically could not bear it. And not only was it that one sin that I had in my life that I was thinking of, It was all of my sins. And on top of that, it was everybody else's sins at the same time. That the whole world full of sins, past and in the future, (coughs) were put on top of him. Killed him that fast. That's why he died. He didn't die from the crucifixion. His heart blew up when our sins went on him. Well, part of what Ezekiel is doing here and trying to say to the children of Israel He's confronting them with their sins, their abominations, and so forth, basically saying, and this is the part that burdens me when I read it, is I don't deserve to live. I mean, God, if he's really just, he should come down and whack me now. And that's the reason why the rabbis don't want to teach this to the Jewish people. They think this would be so devastating, it's so discouraging, that it would harm the people. And so they abstain from talking about it. Besides the fact, there's all kinds of visions in here, subject to all kinds of interpretations, and they don't want people being confused about that. 
Now, let me show you the parallel that we deal with in our generation with regard to the teaching of Book of Revelation. There's a lot of pastors and churches that do not want the Book of Revelation and these prophecies talked about in their church. They don't think their people can handle it. They think it's doom and gloom. It's too devastating. You know, people will be discouraged. You know, they'll be afraid. And if they become afraid, they'll walk away from the faith, blah, blah, blah. And there's all these visions. And there's all these different interpretations of the book of Revelation and end time prophecy. And let's not get into that. That's too much of a mess. I can't deal with it. You know, the pastors are not confident in understanding what the scripture says. So they can't teach it. So they don't want to be dealing with the subject. And so they, on the other hand, very few churches will allow the book of Revelation to be taught. And usually when they get done, people leave the church. They're scared. And people still don't understand what the book is about. Well, that has what the Jewish community has experienced with the book of Ezekiel. They're discouraged. They don't understand what the book is about. They don't feel like it was an edifying experience for them. Now, if you're listening to this broadcast and you have been following my teaching for a while, you know that I have on numerous occasions talked boldly about certain things that will happen to this generation, the end time scenario about the things of the Lord. I mean, I'm the guy that stood up in the front of all my Baptist brethren and said Sabbath didn't go away. And as I said to my Baptist brethren, we always taught that we do exactly what the Bible says, but I discovered that we Baptists don't do what the Bible says. And I said it right directly to them in the face. I said, we're lying to the people. We're lying to ourselves. We're not speaking the truth. That's a pretty bold statement to say to your brethren. That would be the words of a watchman warning his brethren. That would be the words of a prophet from God saying, you guys better clean up your act. You better repent and you better start getting back on track again. And so I know that experience of getting the left foot of fellowship out of the Baptist church as a result of boldly speaking to these things. And my ministry over the years has done those things. So I am of the opinion that the audience that's now listening to me, I think, I think you're ready for the book of Ezekiel. I think you have a, a good enough understanding, having turned back to the Torah, have, learning the commandments, breaking away from your previous spiritual instruction that was in error, getting your life back on track to obey the Lord. I think you're in a position where you can learn from this book and you can realize, step back and realize the significance of what God is saying here. And in particular, take application to the book and be edifying to you in the days that we are living. So that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit excited about teaching this to you. But I'm like others. I have a little fear and trepidation. I want to make sure you guys make it through this correctly. I want to make sure that you really understand that God really is very angry with this. And yet at the same time, only to his glory and credit, his arm is not short that he doesn't know how to save his people. And his mercy is forever. And we are the benefactors of that mercy. We have no righteousness to stand on. We don't like to go around mentioning that very often. And we don't like dealing with the reality of it. But this is the nature of what this book is trying to teach and to set the stage for the great events to take place. Now, let me kind of summarize for you some of the things that we're going to see in this book. 
As I mentioned to you, Ezekiel's 25 years old. He gets taken captive. He goes on his 30th birthday when he's a priest, qualified as a full priest. He gets this vision. God then commissions him and says, I'm sending you to a stubborn and stiff-necked people. You are going to talk to your brethren. And oh, by the way, your brethren are not going to listen to you. I'm still going to send you. You're still going to speak what I want you to speak. But they're not going to take it to heart. They're not going to correct it. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to watch. And they see at that point at the first siege, there was captives taken. But the city hadn't been destroyed. In the course of 24 chapters, Ezekiel is still talking to them while the city of Jerusalem still exists. And then we're going to get to that point, and then word from one of the new captives is going to come to Babylon and tell Ezekiel, no, the last siege, they destroyed the whole city. And he will have spent that time warning them, God is going to destroy the city. You're not going to have some place to go back to. And that whole message, the idea that the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, the temple was going to be destroyed, I mean, God forbid that such things could happen. And yet, they happened. And he was right there prophesying to them that this is what God, God is so angry with you, he's going to destroy the city. He's going to allow your enemies to destroy the temple and steal everything out of it. They're going to steal your homes. You will have nothing. You will just be stuck here as a captive, and you will have nothing. The only positive note that's being given to the children of Israel at this moment, when Ezekiel's doing it, is an original prophecy that Jeremiah gave when he said, God's going to send you to Babylon. Jeremiah prophesied, and by the way, they did not like his prophecy either. They threw him in the bottom of a well so he could shut up. He said, you guys have been in the land for some 490 years, and never once has any of these generations ever kept the sabbatical year. You've never given the land its rest every seven years that I commanded you to do. And there are 70 of those that have been missing. So here's what God's going to do. He's going to send you into Babylonian captivity, and you're going to go there for 70 years, and God is going to give the land its rest. You're not going to be here to burden the land. God will allow the land to rest before I bring you back. And there was this expectation that the Babylonian captivity had a finite period of only 70 years. Let's fast forward now to Daniel, who was in Babylon. He was a man of understanding. And he, reading what Jeremiah had written, by the way, Jeremiah wrote a letter of all this stuff to the Babylonian captives to tell them. Daniel read the words of Jeremiah, and he makes reference to them, and he began to realize, hey, the years are starting to count up, and we're getting close to the end of the 70 years. And so he began to pray toward Jerusalem, even though it was destroyed, and pray about the return of going back to the land. That's where we get the whole book of Daniel to take place. Daniel and Ezekiel were in Babylon at the same time. One was a man of understanding. The other one was a Levitical priest that was a prophet. And they were operating amongst the children of Israel while they were in captivity. As you all know, the end of the story is the 70 years came, and all of a sudden Babylon is captured. And Cyrus, the good king Cyrus, released the captives 
from Babylon and allowed them to go back to Israel. And when they went back, a certain king, his name was Artaxerxes, he granted Nehemiah the right to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then you have the other fellows come along, Zerubbabel and Haggai, the prophets, they rebuilt the temple until we come to the days of King Herod and the Messiah. So that gives you kind of a historical context of how this is all going. The focal point of the judgment that Ezekiel is speaking to is about because of your abominations, because of your sins, you're being cast out of the land. The house of Israel had already been sent into captivity. But this is the house of Judah. You know, the final element, even you are being cast. But here is the interesting part that then this is what bothers interpreters. Everybody would like to have Ezekiel simply talking about the Babylonian captivity and the coming back and the events of those who return and the events of Zerubbabel and Zechariah the prophet and Haggai and the temple being rebuilt. And so they want to cap off that Babylonian captivity and say, oh yeah, all these verses about returning the exiles and so forth, that's what that's about. Only they got a problem because Ezekiel, when he starts talking about the return from the exile, he's not talking about just Babylon. Ezekiel is talking about when the whole house of Israel returns, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, when they are rejoined again. If you've ever heard of the two-house teaching of Israel, Ezekiel is the prophet who speaks to it. Even to this day, this is a very controversial subject. Even within the Messianic movement, some of my Messianic Jewish brethren do not like what Ezekiel had to say about the reunification of the house of Israel, B'nai Ephraim, the sons of Ephraim, with the sons of Judah. And they think that if all of us Ephraimite messianic brethren all decide that we want to go back to land, that we are usurping the Jewish brethren who have returned to the land and they've got a problem. However, they are failing to understand what God's promises are of the restoral and the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in the last days. So there's a lot in this book that we're going to be dealing with. And as I said to you, this was simply an introduction. I hope I've whetted your appetite. And in the following programs that we have, we're going to go into some of the detail. I'm going to show you what I consider to be some amazing things that Ezekiel has taught us. And as I told you, I'm going to emphasize those things that have to do with application for us. I'm going to show you what Ezekiel had to say about the Great Tribulation. I'm going to tell you where he talked about the Greater Exodus and how we're going to be delivered. And he's going to talk about the most wonderful event that we're going to see before the coming of the Lord, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will come upon us. The final vision of Ezekiel in this book, given that he was a priest and he never got to serve in the temple in Jerusalem, God grants him his last vision to be taken to see the temple that will be in the kingdom when the Messiah has returned. And he's given a tour of the entire temple complex and the temple mount to see what it will be. I think to say, Ezekiel, the day is coming when you will serve in that temple. 
and to encourage him personally for what he had to do for it. So this is our introduction for the book of Ezekiel. I look forward to you joining me, and we'll continue these bars. I'm not quite sure how many of these episodes we're going to do. We're just going to get in there, get our nose in the book, and we'll be learning together. So shalom to all of you. I look forward to seeing you next Sabbath. Mm-hmm.